Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to episode three of The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We will be interviewing Pat Denbo today. Pat is a person in long-term recovery. She has not had a drink or drug since 2007. She currently lives in Orange County with her fiance, Emma, and is the program manager of an amazing nonprofit organization called The Phoenix. Pat will be talking to us about her journey to recovery through trauma, living life under five feet tall, coming out as gay, getting sober, and finding community. All right, episode three, let's do this. Welcome to the program. Thank you. <laughs> We're so happy to have you here in our SoCal office. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I grew up in Cleveland, uh, outside, I was about to lie, <laughs> outside of Cleveland, Ohio. I always want to say Cleveland, but I didn't grow up there. I grew up in a suburb I think Cleveland. I think we all do that. It's okay. But Cleveland implies like you're cooler that I'm cooler, but I grew right. up in like this really tiny town, white picket fences, right. men sold insurance, women were all nurses or teachers, okay. very kind of Pleasantville-esque. Yeah. It was black and white, the whole town, black and white. Black. There was no color. Okay, no color. Like Pleasantville, the movie. Yeah. And um, Were you black or white? I was color. The movie was around me. Oh, I like it. I was Toby. Is it Toby Maguire? I don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember. I was Toby Maguire. Okay. So, or the artist. It was an artist in that movie. Anyway, so I grew up there, <laughs> <laughs> and I was there was nothing really interesting about my life. My parents were fine. I love my parents, but they, there was nothing extraordinary, right? There was no intense trauma happening. There was no intense abuse happening. There was no big thing going on. I was just this little kid. I'm very short. Um, How tall are you? Tall enough to ride most of the rides. Uh, most? Most. There's one ride at Cedar Point that I can't ride. Seriously? Yeah. It's called the Witch's Wheel. I have to sit in someone's lap, so I won't ride it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how tall are you? 4'11". Okay. So you, you have to be five foot to ride it. Really? Oh, you I don't, think. Can't you don't it. seem that. It's your presence. Presence. So you therapist must have hated you because you're like, yeah, no, my life was great, fine. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're like, no, what's the trauma? Yeah. And you're like, no, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I, I, and that's what I always say, but what, what happened is I learned later on, like maybe last year, <laughs> that trauma isn't what I thought it was. Right. Right? Like we think it's like I thought it was like me being like locked in a closet for 50 years you know, like flowers in the attic kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I never really understood that, like, death by a thousand cuts mm -hmm. mentality, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these little things that happened that caused me to kind of break down. Right. Right? And I just learned that. That's a new fact. <laughs> new <laughs> new discovery. Well, awesome. You're always growing. I mean, that's, the, yeah, that's right? the beautiful part of change and recovery is that it's this, like, actually this ongoing process. You are yeah. never fully healed. Never. And if you are, then you're probably doing it wrong. You're definitely doing it wrong, yeah. For sure. But so my family, uh, like, I have two older siblings. I have an older sister, older brother, and then me. We had a dog. It was very normal. Um, How tall are they? They're pretty average. Okay. Shorter, but pretty average. My they sister's like 5'3", I think. My brother's like 5'11". I'm going to say that so I don't say okay, the, real the wrong one. Okay. Okay, yeah. I feel like if you say he's shorter, he might get upset. Yeah. Okay, so they all could ride the rides. They could ride all the rides. Okay. I couldn't. Um, when did, at what age did you hit 411? Probably like 18. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I was always short. Like yeah. there's the people that kind of stop growing. Yeah. But I just like – I was always growing. I just was short. Okay. I was tiny. I think I was like under – I was like definitely like six or five pounds when I was born. My mom always says you could hold me like just in one hand. Does that make you feel good or bad? Well, I feel like they should have used two hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, it sounds dangerous. <laughs> like, why were you doing that, Mom? Yeah. It sounds really risky. So, I don't know. No, I think that was just, like, up against their body. <laughs> but I always imagine, like, their hand out and me just kind of balancing. Like, Mom, I'm out here. Help. Help. I need a hug. But I didn't start drinking. I started drinking around 16, but not alcoholically, right? It wasn't just like open a beer and here I go. 
I had older siblings. My dad traveled a lot for work, and my parents were my parents are divorced, so they were separated. How old were you when they divorced? Eighteen. Okay. So my my childhood was kind. Of, they got they got separated and back together a couple times, but it was kind of like normal. Yeah, for me. My dad was gone a lot, and he had this empty house, and so my brother and sister would have these parties, and I would drink the backwash sips of beer. Rough. No wonder you didn't start drinking alcoholically yeah. right away. And so I'd drink the backwash <laughs> sips, and I would just pretend to be drunk. <laughs> I got to see that sometime. It's very weird. <laughs> I was like maybe 12. Okay. Right? And I would just drink these backwash sips to try to impress these older kids. Right. Like I was wasted. Right. Um, were they impressed? No. They didn't care about it. I was 12. <laughs> they I were was drunk. Like in their way. <laughs> um, and so that was like my introduction to alcohol. Like I would see these people drink and have fun. And I think for me, it was always um, an issue of connection. Right. Uh, it was like there was cellophane, like saran wrap in between me and the world. And I could see it, but I couldn't like penetrate. Mm-hmm. Really, I couldn't like rip it open and connect. And I I was really dying for that. And I think that's a big thing with substance use, right? Is we hear it a lot. Like we hear, I feel like everybody had a manual for life that I didn't receive or that there was something that there was an issue with connection. Right, right. And and they, there's, I don't remember who says it, but that that addiction is the opposite of connection. Yeah, it's isolation. Yep. Right, it's isolating it disease. It is a disease of isolation. Yeah. But I saw at these parties that social lubrication factor, right? Mm-hmm. People would drink, they would laugh, they would hug, they would whatever. And I wanted that. And so I didn't start drinking because of, I didn't really understand. You know, at the same time, I'm kind of, Coming to terms, I was about 12, with my uh, sexuality. I'm gay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, but I didn't – so it was the 90s, late 90s, and we didn't have kind of the uh, vernacular in Ohio. At all. Did None. you know? Did you know gay people? Ellen wasn't out yet, so no. right. 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 So, so then absolutely not. No way. No way. Yeah. Right? We didn't have anything. Right. But I found this uh, singer, Ani DeFranco. <laughs> yeah. Right? Hello. So I found Ani DeFranco. But she's straight now. She's straight now. Yeah. But at the time, I think she's bisexual, I think. Right. So I think she was dating women at that time or dating a woman at that time. I don't know if she was dating multiple people. I can't say that about her. <laughs> I don't but, want to speak out of turn. <laughs> but... Um, but I was like, oh, I think she dates women. Maybe I'm gay. Like, but I didn't really understand what that meant. Right. Right? Because you're 12. It's like a very complicated. It sounds kind com- of yeah, thing. no. I, I mean, sexuality at 12 is incredibly complicated, whether you're gay or straight. Yeah, it's very so, weird. So to have it be anything, to have it be, you know, pre-Ellen coming out feels very, very lonely. Yeah, yeah. It's right. Very, especially in the suburbs of Cleveland. Yeah. And so I had this like long hair, super frizzy. I had braces. I had these really thick glass. I was a nerd. I played the cello. Oh. It was like not, I wasn't winning. <laughs> Except for this, the cellophane and the backwash. This, yeah. The cellophane and the backwash and the cello. Right. It was a great cellist, but like in high school or in junior high, yeah. like the kid walking to school with the cello. Right. If you remember, have you ever seen Grease 2 where they, like, raise the bass on the flagpole? Yes. That's kind of what I always think about. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and you're, you're like, so in high school, you've, you're, like, maybe 4'9". Yeah. And so this cello is... Is 4'9", also. It's also 4'9". <laughs> so, it pro- I mean, it was, like, a logistical struggle. Yeah, it was struggle. a logistical nightmare, okay. really. Um <laughs> But that was, like, kind of it. It was just this, like, I couldn't figure out – Every all my friends were dating people. This right. was, like, the big thing in high school is my friends were dating people. They are dating men. And I had a boyfriend also. Poor guy. Because <laughs> he didn't – everybody's getting action. He didn't get any action. And um, – Maybe he was gay. He wasn't. Oh. I feel bad for him. Oh, okay. But thanks for your service. Yeah, you know, yeah, I don't yeah. Know. But I was really jealous of my friends all the time. Like they would get boyfriends, and I'd be, I'd be like so jealous. But I didn't know what that meant. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like I want that, but I don't. But I don't want it with him. Yeah. Do I want it with you? I don't yeah. really know. Yeah, that's very confusing. It's very, very confusing. And so I would be, I would be mean to them, right? To the friends. To the friends, right. because I, I had all of these confusing things, and then eventually. They didn't want me to be mean anymore, so they weren't my friends anymore, and it turned into, like, I just kind of lost all of my friend group, mm. and I didn't understand why. 
And so that's when I turned to alcohol. And how old were you then? 16. Okay. So I was like eating lunch in the bathroom kind of loneliness. You know, like Lindsay Lohan from Mean Girls. I keep <laughs> quoting movies. I'm sorry. No, no. It's good. I worked at Blockbuster in early recovery. <laughs> so it's, it's there. It's so good. Um, and I was like eating bathroom or eating bathroom. Eating <laughs> lunch in the Keep bathroom. that in. <laughs> yeah, Definitely keep, that in. keep <laughs> <laughs> Eating lunch in the bathroom. And a couple of uh, people that were also in orchestra – uh, they used to go down to Bain Park, uh, which is the park kind of by my high school, and they would drink. And so one day we were like driving around, you know, high school, you just kind of drive around. And yes. we got this warm case of Natty Ice. Amazing. It's disgusting. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you can kind of yeah. taste it coming <laughs> up already. And we went to this, we went to Bain Park, and I remember so vividly that drink. Like I remember opening the can and taking a sip. And just like growing, like I was yeah. five five, yeah, right. And I was funny, and I was charming. And the cellophane just came off. Yeah, yeah. It just like unwrapped me. Yep. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, yeah. I'll just do this every day. Right. This right. is the solution. This is the solution. And it's like you don't even realize how big the problem. Like you don't even realize what the problem is, and then the solution shows up, and you're like. Oh, yes. this is the problem. Yes. And it and then there's the solution and and yeah, exactly. I'll just do this. Yeah, it was like a very conscious decision. I hear people talk about like I don't know like how I started drinking out of control or how this happened. I'd like distinctly remember thinking like I'm going to do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> and did you think I'm going to do this every day with Natty Ice? Mm, I did it with Puckers. Oh no! It was gross, like that sour apple puckers. Yeah, so yeah, I oh, find yeah. like whatever alcohol my Isn't family that a wine had. cooler. I don't know what it is. It's like the like. But it's gross. Yeah, it is gross. So I had it like by my bed in high school, and I would just like take a swig of the sour. I don't even know, really know if there's alcohol in it. <laughs> I think there is. But it's gross. <laughs> we drank a lot of Jaeger. That was oh, what we drank in Ohio. That's also, yeah that that feels like that feels like a very yeah. That feels like a very Ohio thing to drink. We get like those huge, those big, long, green, thing, green bottles yeah. of Jaeger and we yeah. would just drink that. Problem with Jaeger is that you throw up Jaeger and you are bummed. It's like throwing up Christmas. It is like throwing yeah. up Christmas, except a really terrible Christmas. Yeah, it's like throwing up the worst Christmas of your life. <laughs> so It's so like syrup. Yeah. Yeah. Minty. Ooh. Ooh. Gross. But that's what we drank. And I I did that every day. I would take – every, every day. Every so, day. So, so let me get this straight. So 16, you're like, I'm in the band. I'm as big as my cello. And yeah. I might be gay or not. Yeah. I love Ani. And I'm going to go to the park with my other band friends. I'm going to drink warm Natty Ice. And that was how you came to your decision. Yep. I, I mean – seems kind of crazy when I think about it now. But at the time, it made perfect sense. I mean, sense. it's – does it say something about me that it makes perfect sense now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like the upgrade of the alcohol was definitely an important yeah. growing part for yeah. you. Yeah, but, um, That's but when yeah. I really arrived. Yeah. We had two fridges in my house. We had a garage fridge mm-hmm. where Drinks. the beer was yeah. and then the food fridge inside. So I would – in the morning, I would go out to the garage fridge. I'd take a Bud Light out of the fridge, drink it on my way to school, and then that was like usually enough to just kind of get me through the day. And then I started smoking weed and, you know – yeah. Get, you get kind of connected with the people who are doing the stuff you're doing. Right. 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 And so I was a pretty good student. This is funny. I was like a pretty good student. Not great, but I was good. Right. I could have gotten into a good college. Not Harvard, but good. And I was, I graduated, I think I was like 183rd out of 186. So it took me like, it wasn't a lot of time for me to start um, <laughs> just going down like right yeah so that's what two years Mm -hmm. two years to just tank it yeah tank it and so when you're doing that are your parents and family are they like um i don't really remember yeah what they were doing that's a nice thing about alcohol at that point in time my parents were about to be divorced okay and so my dad was gone a lot my mom was um she was pretty upset by the whole thing and so i think they were going through their whole thing my sister and brother were in college so they were gone. Uh, okay. So my brother's five years older than me and my sister's seven. So okay. by the time I'm okay. in high school, they're gone. Right. So it's right? just you. Yeah. So it's just me. Just there. Having drinking your- Bud Light <laughs> and puckers. <laughs> we hanging out. On the way, on the way to on the way to school. On the way to school. So 
how did it progress? Like, how did you get from, you know, pretty good college abilities to almost the last in your class? Well, it's an excellent question. I don't know. I think one thing that I think I have to say is that there was a sexual assault in high school mm-hmm. or in eighth grade, actually, that happened that I didn't tell anybody about. Okay. And I think that that was a huge part of that, like numbing kind of thing. I think a lot of substance use is uh, trying to cope. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the skills to cope. And so I'm like coping with sexuality. I'm coping with um, like the loss of my group of friends and then this like looming sexual assault that I like don't really understand. So with the sexual assault, when did you tell? I didn't tell anybody until I was uh, in rehab. Okay. Actually, I didn't tell anybody. My mom said when I told her that uh, we had a bench on our front porch and after I got, I rode my bike home afterwards. I had this like green dino. I really loved it. So I like ride my little bike home and I sat on the bench and she sat next to me and she asked me if I was okay. And I said, yes. And she said that was the first time I lied to her and she knew that the tables were turning. She was kind of sad. She knew that you lied to her. Mm -hmm. She knew something had happened and she knew I wasn't going to tell her. Yeah. Why, why weren't you going to tell her? I don't know. It felt like I shouldn't tell her. Huh. And I think a lot of that is the times that we grew up in back then. It, things weren't talked about. Yeah. Like I didn't get to read and see like the Me Too campaign or any of the, – none of that stuff was there. Yeah. Like nobody else had had a voice in that. And so I think I think that's like the great thing about the generations coming up. Yeah. It's like a lot of work has been done to like give them space to talk about stuff. But I, I didn't feel like I had that. And did you understand what had happened? Yeah. I mean, I was, tw- I was old enough to know what had happened and that yeah. it wasn't okay. It was pretty violent. And so um, I just I just couldn't talk about it. Yeah. So you're, you're, you have that. You have, and then you're moving forward from there. What did that feel like when you finally did talk about it? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Not the answer I was looking for. No. No, I mean, it was hard. So I did yeah. it in rehab. So like a bunch of time passed. I'm in rehab. And um, we do these like knee to knees. So mm-hmm. you're like sitting facing mm-hmm. your person and you're supposed to tell them there's like three R's. One of them is regret. One of them is remorse. And one of them is something else. I don't remember. But in one of those, the one I don't remember <laughs> was like stuff that you were supposed to that you should be honest about. Right. And so I told my mom there and she just she like stood there so stoically with just tears. And I think she was always kind of resentful that I didn't give her the opportunity to help. Yeah, I could see that. I could see like that. The, we, and I think that happened like kind of often. Like she w- she wanted to help and I would just rip it from her. Right. Like, I don't need you kind of thing. Right. I can do this. Yeah, I, I got it. And I very obviously don't <laughs> got it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not a lot being gotten. Yeah. I'm like in rehab. I'm like, yeah. hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Why are you so worried? Everything's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and I think she was always kind of resentful of that. So things started – you don't remember much of high school. What happened when you graduated at 180? Yeah, so I graduated. My dad, my aunt, my dad's sister was the dean of this college, and I wasn't getting into any college. I wanted to go to some college in Vermont because this girl I thought I had a crush on maybe. I okay, so you know you're gay I don't. Point. I don't. I oh, say that know. now because okay. it's very obvious that I had a crush on her, but at the time I'm just like stalking this girl oh, Right, right. Yeah. We want to be really close friends. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> but – uh, he gets me in to this all women's college. My poor father. He's this. At the time, he was this like very conservative guy from Iowa, <laughs> and he gets me into an all women's liberal arts college. Wait, seriously? Yep. And he had no idea what he was doing. Really? Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I look. I felt. I, look, I feel for him. Yeah, now. yeah. You look back and you're like. <laughs> I mean. On the flip side, but really, how great. really great choice. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect choice for Perfect me. choice for you. I lasted six months. Okay. Semester. <laughs> Is that six? Three? Three months. Uh, it's 16 weeks. 16 yeah. weeks I lasted. Mm. But that school did an amazing thing for me, which was gave me the platform to understand that I was gay and to come out in a space that was like very safe for me. It was very weird to not be gay at that campus. Hmm. You were pretty much the minority and ostracized. So you, you so, so you were like, I am gay. Yeah, definitely gay. Yeah. Um, so you grow up in this place where, it, you know, it's black and white and you're color, and then you go to this school where everyone's color. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was kind of cool. 
and that's kind of where uh, wait, my, why'd you why'd you last sixteen weeks? Well, because my drug use really took off. I fell in love with a stripper. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Can I say you, that on the podcast? <laughs> you might be the best guest ever. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah, you can say that. Okay. I mean, it happens. It happens. So she was... Uh, Where you... Did you no, meet her I at met her at club? college. She was at college. So she was stripping her way through college, which is like a real thing. She had no student loans. That's baller. I mean, amazing. Right? I was yeah. like, good on you. Yeah. No, seriously. She's See? great. She made yeah. a ton of money. Yeah. I bet. So I... Yeah. So she was the first girl I was ever with. Mm-hmm. And her name changed depending on the hour. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. They kept it interesting. And she also introduced me to a lot of other substances. She was really wonderful. Sounds like a great relationship. We had a great time. Yeah. So I started doing a lot of cocaine at that time because yeah. that's what she did. Yeah. And that's that was how I lasted 16 weeks. So I had this dorm room. I had a roommate, I think, but I don't remember her. <laughs> I don't know. She was not relevant. She was, yeah, she's not a part of the story. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry if sorry if we're Facebook friends and yeah, you see this. Yeah, sixteen weeks of college. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was bringing all the drugs into the dorm room, and so how I got kicked out was I had hidden a bunch of baggies of drugs from myself. <laughs> so I bought a plethora of drugs, and I thought I'm going to divvy this up so I only do yeah a certain amount every day. It's called the serving size. Exactly. It's done in most other consumption areas. Exactly. It's completely normal. So somebody like tipped off the people, the faculty. The fun killers. Yeah, the fun killers. <laughs> and they busted me, and they thought that I was selling drugs on campus, to which I would never do. I would have loved to been in the room for that explanation to them. Yeah, like I'm not selling them. They're like, there's so many baggies, <laughs> like measured out. And I'm like, no, 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 it's for me. This is going to last me like a week, you know? <laughs> you don't understand. I am portioning. <laughs> yes. I only have X amount of dollars, yeah. so I have to. You know, like meal planning? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like meal planning. Yeah, Same thing. it's meal prep. <laughs> <laughs> it's Coke prep. Yes. So they kicked me out. And I, like, tried to appeal it, and they were like, you, A, have never been to class, and you have so many drugs, and, like, we're not, you're not allowed here. You're like, <laughs> I'm like, but please. But please. My parents are going to be mad. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay, so do you go back to? No, I moved in with the stripper. Oh, in, but in she's, Pittsburgh, which but she's is where in the college, college. Was. Yeah, but she got an apartment. Right. Because she's making so much money. She doesn't need to live on campus. No. She got an apartment, okay. and I moved in with her. I was in an area. Wait, did your, how did you did you tell the your parents? They must have. Not. I think at that point I was no longer telling them things. Right. Like I don't remember them in that part a lot. Right. I'm right. sure they were there. Right. Yeah, we block those. But conversations I don't remember. Out. Like, what oh, you're were. disappointed in me. I'm gonna not remember yeah. that. Essentially, yeah. like I don't remember you in my life at that yeah. time. Yeah. It's much That's easier. your fault, not yeah. mine. <laughs> right. Right. Can't do it. Not doing it. Okay. But I was living with her, and yeah, I don't know. I was living in this area in in Pittsburgh that was really rough. Like a rough neighborhood, so I get mugged all the time. Like a pretty much nightly routine. Seriously? Not like violent. They'd just be like, "Give me your money," and I'd be like, "Okay, here you go." And <laughs> so then they like, would go away. It's either mugged or bad boundaries, but yeah, but both. Yeah, both. they have a knife. <laughs> oh, like, okay. Give me your money, or yeah. like, give me whatever you have. And right. I'm like, oh, here's my five dollars. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have anything, and they'd be like, "Okay," and they run away. It's not like yeah, it's still taking your money. Yeah, but it's like those like those little cuts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And um. I lasted there for a while. We had this pet ferret. This is the way I remember it. And who knows if this is true. We had this pet ferret. The ferret died. And I was like, that's it. I'm out. Like, I'm out. I'm leaving this. I'm going to go. I'm not doing drugs anymore. Okay. So the ferret dies and, and you, you're going to turn a new turn over a new yeah. leaf. Okay. If that's the actual way that happened, nobody knows. Okay. That's the way that I remember it. Okay. Fair enough. So I moved back home to my mom and I get... I don't have any kind of community of recovery or I don't really understand substance use disorders yet or the disease of alcoholism. I have no idea. I'm like 18 years old. So I just stopped doing drugs. I okay. stopped drinking and I think I'm going to just not doing that stuff. Right, right. That was you Pittsburgh. Know, this is Cleveland. This is Cleveland. I enroll in Cleveland State. New college. New, new college. New me. New me. You know, live with my mom. She painted my room lime green. That's that a, rude. That's a, that's a move. That was a move. That might be like a... An anger move? Power move. It's a power move. Yeah. Lime green? Mm -hmm. Were you like... She was like, it's chartreuse. I was like, this is lime green, and I hate it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, things we do for love. Yes. Okay. 
And I got this job at this chiropractic office. I was the only employee at this chiropractic office. And I started doing drugs again. I got like, maybe I stayed sober for 30 days, maybe. I was the only employee at this chiropractic office. And there was like a little like lockbox with money. I took all the money. <laughs> Naturally. I'm the only employee. He says, where's all the money? I go, I don't know. I get fired. Yeah. My mom goes, you stole all his money. I go, no way. I didn't do that. I don't know where it went. The only people going into that office are like elderly yeah. people. Right. And I'm like I, accusing these people of stealing yeah, the money yeah. at this chiropractic yeah. office. <laughs> you, know, you know Violet? She's. She, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was Esther. <laughs> it was her. She was moving fast that day. <laughs> She's like, she can't walk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so you get fired. So I get fired. I start running around doing stuff. I have like a vague memory of me trying to throw a bicycle at a window. I don't know where that comes into play. Yeah, seems like it works. That's- yeah, uh, but I started having seizures. Wait. So, so fun fact about cocaine that I learned is the more you do it, the more likely you are to have seizures because your kidneys shut down. Really? Yes. That never happened to don't me. Don't ask me. Don't don't correct me with a doctor. I won't. I, could be I wrong. won't correct you with Personal any doctor experience. Yeah, yeah, I, will, <laughs> I will not correct you. I have no idea. It just I don't didn't know, happen. But to that's me. what happened. Or to me. no one told me if it did. That's what happened to me. Yeah. And um, how much cocaine were you doing? A lot. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. And how were you funding this? I have no idea. Yeah. I just always had it. I would do runs for people. Okay. Okay. Like a drug mule, mm-hmm. kind of, in my Dodge Neon in Fairview Park, Ohio. It's like so The visual weird. is yeah. amazing. So I would like go run for people and they would pay me in drugs. I mean, um, you don't look suspicious, but you probably looked different. Yeah. I said longer hair. Yeah. But I still didn't really look. I don't think I did. Who knows yeah. what I looked like? be honest. I thought I looked great. (laughs) (laughs) That's all that matters, girl. Self-esteem intact. But um, I had a seizure in front of my mom is what happened. And I woke up from that seizure. I like vaguely remember hugging her, but I was overdosing and seizing. All this stuff was happening. And then I woke up on the couch and my mom was a hospice nurse. And she had her hospice bag in one hand and the phone in the other. And she was trying to decide if she was going to let me die comfortably or call for help. Wow. That is how she tells it. And I woke up from that, and I looked, and I saw the hospice bag, and I knew exactly. I knew that bag. Yeah. And um, and she was nervous because she, she said hospitals don't treat drug addicts well, mm. and they're going to kill you there because they're not going to think you're worth saving. That's what she said. And she's growing up, like, being a nurse yeah. in the yeah. know, 80s, 90s, right. during the AIDS epidemic right. and all this stuff. So right. it's like a totally different thing then. But, um, but that's what she's thinking. Yeah, right? scary. And uh, she says, you have to get help. And I say, no. And she says, well, you need to clean the stove. (laughs) (laughs) It's the next logical step. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I clean the stove. Right. I'm like so mad. Yeah. How could you? I had a rough night. Yeah. Like, how could you make me clean? Like, I'm not thinking about her night. Right? She's like thinking about burying her kid. Right. Right. unnatural. Right. Right? And we're worried about the stove. I'm worried about the stove. Yeah. And um, eventually I go, I kind of concede, and I'm going to go to rehab. And she says, I gave you a pamphlet months ago. Go find it in your room. And I have no idea what she's talking about. It's a pamphlet of what, like, you right. were, what are you saying? You were like, yeah, so did the guy down the street giving out drink coupons, but yeah, I don't have I don't that. I don't have anything. What yeah. are you talking about? I go in my room, I open a drawer, and the pamphlet's right there. Huh. And it was like the first, it was like a window. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we talk about that yeah. window. Yep. And so I call this place, and I go in. I go in on February 14th of 2004, 5. And it's like a will, it's a wilderness program, so they take everything from you, mm-hmm. give you a pair of granny panties and some army pants and a backpack, yep. you know, and a blue shirt, and send you off yep. into the desert. We're in Utah? Yeah, yep. in Utah. Duchesne? Where, what's it was outside of Loa, okay. which yeah. is a yeah, tiny yeah. Utah town. I know, I know Loa. Yeah, and, um, and I was out there for 36 days. And I came out of there thinking that I could, um, that I didn't need to do hard drugs anymore, that I could just drink and smoke weed. So when you went in there, were you only using cocaine? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was doing some other stuff. Like I would dabble in some hallucinogens once okay. in a while, but cocaine was the main thing. That was the main thing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So you come out and you're like, I don't need to do, you know, I don't need to do hard drugs anymore. Yeah. I remember telling my sister at this motel in Loa, Utah, I'm still going to drink and, like, smoke weed. I'm just not going to, like, do the hard stuff. Yeah. And she was like, okay, that sounds that sounds good. Yeah. That's great. That's when everything went bad. So right. 
good. Right. You know, and um, and then uh, the place I went to, Passages to Recovery, said that I needed to go to aftercare. So this was in 2005, not 2004. Correction, 2005. So uh, insurance wasn't a thing yet mm-hmm. involved in the rehab thing. So it was actually cheaper go figure. than it is now, which is strange. But we went to this. They recommended I go to this place in California. And so I went. My sister and I, it was the first time my sister and I actually spent time together. We drove from Utah to Orange County and showed up at this doorstep that ended up being the owner of the treatment center's house accidentally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm here. And she's like, no. <laughs> no, no, you're no, not. No, no. Uh, but I went to this house in Costa Mesa, and it was all women's treatment facility for it was a ninety day program, and I lasted I don't know I think I had like six months sober, and then I drank a Sparks Energy drink with like the first pretty blonde girl I saw because mm-hmm. I decided that Sparks Energy drinks don't count. Is that those were the ones with the alcohol in yeah. it? Yeah, like, but they didn't count, right? Because energy drink, energy the energy drink that mm-hmm. has. Some, some alcohol. Right, right. It's not the same thing. It doesn't okay. count. No. Not real. Not. So I just didn't tell anybody. Right. right? And no, no um, and I did all sorts of stuff for recovery, right? So I did so I drank this energy drink. I didn't tell anybody. And I just stayed in the sober in, living. In huh? the sober living. Yeah. And did, you know, whatever we had to do and was like a part of recovery. And I drank again and didn't tell anybody. The same thing? Same thing. Okay. No, 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 no. I drank a beer. Okay, okay. I, think, so. I drank like a Newcastle. Trying to live it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got this job at Albertsons. Yeah. And I moved out of the sober living. Okay. Rented a room in this weird house that had a mobile home in the driveway. Very weird. Mm. It's what I could afford. And um, started drinking and lying about it. And I did that for through two years. So the idea was that I didn't want to lose what I had built. Right. But I also wanted to drink. Yeah. So I just did. And that's the crazy thing, right, is like we get all this stuff from the recovery piece. We're in the recovery home. We're in, you know, we're getting all the recovery. So we want to keep that. Yeah. We, and we want to keep the friends and the yeah. whole, everything that comes along with recovery because there is so much that comes along with it. But we really also want to drink. Like yeah. fish that, and so there's the negotiation. So yeah. So you did. I was like, oh, I figured it out. <laughs> this is perfect. I got it. <laughs> And uh, eventually, like, that drinking turned into cocaine again, which then in California, cocaine was harder to get. So mm-hmm. that turned into speed, crystal mm-hmm. meth, because that was easier. Yep. And then that turned into, like, IV drugs, and that turned into heroin, and then it just all really just kind of... And how long did it take to get you from drinking again, I want to keep all the recovery, to so, shooting heroin? probably about a year. Well, no, probably about, like, three months, six months. Okay. It was pretty quick. Yeah. That, um, is, that is quick. It was pretty Especially quick. for someone who hasn't done those drugs before just yeah. to like. I really was of the mentality of like I just want to not. I, I just want to put the brakes. You know, there's yeah. like gra- there's like gas pedal people and brake pedal people. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And I wanted brakes. And I was yeah. doing a lot of gas <laughs> and I just needed to put on the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I wanted to do. So at what point in this were you like, okay, this is a problem? So I was working at Albertsons, mm-hmm. and similar to the chiropractic office, I stole a ton of money, but this time from a huge corporation. <laughs> and turns um, out they don't like that. Yeah, turns out they don't like that. They have this video of me going, <laughs> taking money out of the safe, Jesus. walking out the door, and then going back in and like doing drugs or doing whatever I was doing. And so eventually, I've been doing this for months. And and they keep seeing the videos and don't. I don't know really. I think maybe they were. Who knows Backlog. what they were doing? Yeah, I don't know. But eventually they took me up into the office and they showed me the video and they said, "Would you like to explain yourself?" And I said, "Well, that's not me." <laughs> that's <a> great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to explain myself. <laughs> being framed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm being framed. This isn't real. I you I don't know what this is. That's a lot. Of that I think it's that. That new, is gaslighting. Yeah. It's the new bagger. They were, <laughs> they were being gaslit. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it's the new bagger you guys just hired. He's crazy. <laughs> they were like, um, he's six feet yeah. tall. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, so I got fired. Yeah. And I had to, there was like a restitution case and there's all sorts of stuff going on. My dad really helped me out with those. And, um. I stayed out for a few months longer, but really what happened is I ran out of money. Yeah. And ways to get it. 
So this is a really great point that I want to make, which is around family members. And I know you work in recovery Mm -hmm. space, and so you'll probably have something to say about this, which is family members giving their loved ones who are using money is a very, very dangerous use prolonging thing. And it is so hard to explain to people how that's possible because they think they're helping and they think, yeah. And and what they're really doing, even when you're, you know, giving them gift cards to the grocery store or whatever it is, you are allowing them more runway to use. Yeah. My parents were pretty good at the tough love thing. Um, it wasn't until I had like criminal stuff yeah, going on yeah. that my dad was like, all right, no, we're not, you're not going to last. Yeah. Yeah. In jail. But I do, I agree. Um, I think if my parents, like when I look back, if my mom or dad would have been giving me money to use my drugs or do the things that I was doing, it would have gotten bad. Yeah. Quick. And I don't know that I'd be here, really. And And that's – but the thing that people don't think about is if you're giving money for the rent or you're giving money to sustain the life, that frees up funds Mm -hmm. to buy the drugs. So a lot of the parents that I talk to are like, well, I'm not giving them cash for drugs, right? But But you are, though. But you are because you're giving them money that goes towards something and that money that they would be using would normally go, you know, now can go towards drugs. Yeah, exactly. And so really like the only reason I'm here today is because I ran out. Right. You ran out of money. If my family would have been paying my rent or giving me food cards, which I could have sold for cash or whatever, that road would have been longer. Yeah. Uh, Because there were things that for me, I wouldn't do for money. Right. Right. And so I ran out of ideas. So what'd that look like? I so luckily I had some experience with recovery. Right. Even if it was like kind of yes, weird. <laughs> no, but you knew where to go, but you I knew, knew where the to people. Go. I had some friends. I had these two friends I'm still friends with today that um used to call me when I was loaded. They would call me every day. They were such buzzkills. <laughs> I was so annoyed. And they would call and they wouldn't call to harass me or tell me to get clean or they they would just say, "Hey, how are you doing?" And I'd be like, oh, I'm good. I'm on my way to pick up or I'm like doing this. I'm doing that. They'll be like, oh, that's cool. We're at the gym. Yeah. Like whatever. Just want to see how you're doing. We're with this person. She wants to say hi to you. Never like pressure. Right. And so what that did, and I don't know that they knew they were doing this either, but what that did was when I was ready to get help, I could call them Yeah. because that line of communication was open. Right. And I didn't feel like I was going to hear I told you so mm-hmm. or judgment or pressure. It was just open. Um, But instead of calling, I showed up at one of their works. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I made a scene. I'm not sure. She'll correct me if I'm wrong on this. But I'm pretty sure I made a scene. And I remember being asked to go, like, sit in the stairs of this mall, of, like, the mall. She was working at the mall. And she gave me the phone number of somebody who could help me, who then gave me another phone number, who gave me another phone number. And it was this, like, series of me making all of these phone calls. And uh, eventually I found a place to stay. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't have money to do like a detox kind of thing. And they just weren't around as much in 2007. Uh, So I kicked heroin with Benadryl and Midol. Mm, Midol. For the cramps. For the leg cramps. It's brilliant. So yeah, so the detox from heroin gives you the kicks, right? Which is just like leg cramps. Yeah. And the Midol really helped with that. That's interesting. I've heard that. And the Benadryl just like helped me sleep. Yeah. Um, but I was like essentially like throwing up and, you know, doing all that stuff and they would wake me up at 630 in the morning, make me go, you know, go places and do stuff with them. They wouldn't let me alone in the house because they thought I'd steal everything because I probably would have. Um, but they also like slept in the bed with me so that I wouldn't have to be alone. Wow. And my one friend always tells me this story, like the second night I was just praying, like, please God make this stop. I was crying, crying, crying. And she was just sleeping next to me. And um, I don't know that I would have made it without somebody just next to me. That's Those are some good friends. Yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. And they're still my friends today. They're my best friends in the world. So. And then you have been in recovery for a long time now. Yeah, so since June 19th of 2007. So it'll be 12 years in June 19th of 2019. Awesome. that's awesome and so what what did uh what what does your life look like now so today um it looks very different 
Um, well, that's good. Which is great. Yeah, that's, that's the hope. Yeah, that's the Right? That's, is that you're still not doing that. Uh, but I work for a company called The Phoenix, which is a nonprofit. It's a national nonprofit. Uh, started in Denver, Boulder, Denver area in 2007. But it's a sober active community. So essentially what we do is we use the transformative power of sport and fitness mm -hmm. in order to help uh, sustain and build long-term recovery and bridge communities together. And then we use that to also help alleviate and eliminate the stigma around recovery. It's What you guys are doing is so, so cool. And I remember hearing about it because I think it was like Phoenix multi-sport for a yes, while. Yes, it was. But So what happened is multi-sport is actually a triathlon term. And I'm not doing a triathlon. <laughs> that is hard. <laughs> no, I think that the phoenix just is better. So it's like the phoenix is like the bird, right? Right. Like rising rising from, the from the ashes. ashes. Yeah. yeah. So what has been your experience, you know, talking about all the different components of what the phoenix does and creating community? What has it done for you like so, for, on a personal level yeah. not working there? So, but I didn't always work there, right? right? So when I found the phoenix, it was through one of my friends was like my brother starting this thing. It's CrossFit, and I was like, absolutely not. I have no interest. And she was like, it's free. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's go. It's free. I love free stuff. Right? Right? I'll do about anything for a free T-shirt. <laughs> I I need to remember that. Think about it, okay. right? Yeah. How cool are free T-shirts? They are, but then you get too many of them. Never. No? No, nah, you just get rid of some old ones. Oh, okay. Marie Kondo, if it doesn't spark joy, yeah, yeah, yeah. just get rid of it. Yeah, that's true. But um, need to condo my life. So I went to this CrossFit class, and in that time period, I was um, also one thing I didn't say about Passages of Recovery, the wilderness program I went to, is that I fell in love with the wilderness. I fell in love with backpacking. That's awesome. Like I just found passion there for that. You also forgot to tell something about that wilderness program. Oh yes, it changed your family's it life. It did. So my um, sister started has two kids now and the kid's father are the is the field guide from that wilderness program so I have two nieces and the cool thing about that and a cool thing in recovery that you have is like an opportunity to repair relationships with family right yeah and my sister and I were never close before that the age gap is huge uh, but when I got sober this time we started to become close which is crazy because we've never been further away from each other right, right? she's in Ohio right and I'm here. And so we started talking on the phone all the time. And she was pregnant with her second kid. And she said, hey, why don't you come for the delivery? Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, okay. You want me there? And so I got to be in the delivery room for her having that kid, which wow. was a really amazing experience and really stressful also. <laughs> Just nobody really tells you. You can't explain you it. Can't explain you can't explain it. Because you come – I remember coming out. I was in the room when one of my best friends had both her kids. And I came out of the hospital and I was like, does everybody know about this? They don't. Like, does everybody understand what what is – like, we normalize it. There's like a, a maternity Like ward. on Grey's Anatomy, yeah. they don't show what happens. But even so, it's like – your mind is blown. Yeah. Just, you're, you're like, this is very the, long. The, oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, at one point, I was like hiding in a cabinet, like <laughs> eating pancakes really quick. And you can't complain because the person's in you labor. Can't, right? Yeah, you there's can't no complaining. complaining. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, but that, I got to be one of the first people to hold that baby. Oh, that's so cool. And so that little girl's like the light of my life. Yeah. And it's so cool to be like, come from where we've come from. And then have somebody be like, hey, hold my baby. Like, I want you to have a bond with this baby. Right. And you're like, right. okay. Yeah. You trust I can do me that. to hold your baby. And I can keep that promise, right? And I you're going to use two hands. I'm going to use two hands. Yeah. Mom. <laughs> and I'm going to, like, keep that promise. I am going to bond with that kid. And I'm going to do everything I can from California to make sure that, yeah. like, they, I have a relationship with them. Yeah. Which I've done. And now they won't stop sending me Instagram boomerangs. And it's actually kind of annoying. <laughs> But <laughs> so if you're listening, <laughs> they're like six and eight. So like they've just learned boomerang. Yeah. They don't have their own Instagrams. Okay. That they're using like but they're, parental monitored Instagram. But they only I send, wasn't judging. I'm just, just checking. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Just putting it out there. Or sister's a good parent. Um, <laughs> but they send me these boomerangs of the two of them. I get like 35 notifications wow. a day. Wow. And I'm like, okay. 
That's my. I think I'm like really popular. I'm like, oh, I have so many Insta. I'm famous. It's yeah. just all my nieces. Oh, so it's like confusing because it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My kids, um, I have two year old twin boys and they FaceTime everyone and, and portal. We have one of those Facebook oh, yeah. portals. So they'll, they'll FaceTime and portal people like to the point where people don't want to answer anymore. Yeah. Because they'll take, so yeah. Because then they don't know how to talk on the phone. No, they don't. They don't. They Which just, is really – It's like, hey, yeah. and then they walk away and, and I come in. You just and, hear like a bang. Yeah. That's what I hear. Like I'm like, hi, how are you guys doing? Just Hope bang. that was an expensive phone. Yeah, like I don't know what's yeah. happening over there. Hello? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Someone's crying. <laughs> Mom? So – But I fell in love with backpacking. Oh, yes. In the wilderness. And um, so when I found the Phoenix at that time of that CrossFit class, I had just climbed Mount Whitney – Oh, so cool. I had just done bottom to top Grand Canyon, wow. and I had just done a couple other things, but I had done those alone. What? Because I didn't have anybody that wanted to go with me. I didn't have that community, right? Right. And so, and I wanted to do that stuff, and so I just did it because recovery gave me some like weird sense of badassness. Badassness, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I mean, Mount Whitney, like you say, you climb Mount Whitney. It's like an uphill walk. It is not like my husband did Mount Whitney. It's not an uphill walk. It is. I mean, it's, it's a up- hard walk. It's a very hard, but it's uphill. an uphill walk. Okay, Grand Canyon was harder. Yeah, like by far. It, that it, all of those things seem but very difficult. I found so the thing with backpacking and doing it alone as a woman is like very scary. Yeah. Um, to be out there at night and it's yeah. you know it's a pretty much male dominated community. Yeah, as like a lot of that stuff is. But I found community out there. The issue with that community was, like, a lot of it revolved around alcohol. Right. Right? Like, there's, like, they call them, like, dirtbag hikers. That's mm. the term. And they just kind of, a lot of it is surrounded around alcohol and weed. Mm. It's that it's lifestyle, right? right? So I didn't really, so I was still kind of alone because I didn't want that lifestyle anymore. But I wanted that. There's nothing like climbing a mountain and being up there to remember, A, like, how small yeah. we are as yeah. humans. And how much we're capable of mm-hmm. as humans. Like when I climbed Mount Whitney, I was at the top and I thought I was going through like a personal crisis and um, it, I just felt okay. Like there's hope up there on those mountains. Yeah. You just have to go get it. Yeah. Either that or oxygen deprivation. Or oxygen deprivation. Yeah. I did get a little lost at one point, which was probably. <laughs> that's, it, that's the Park ranger was like, hey, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I knew that. <laughs> I knew it. But I found the Phoenix then during that time period. And what I found was I found CrossFit and I like CrossFit and everybody can have their opinion about it. I like it. But more than that is I found a community of people that when I said I wanted to do something, they were like, oh, let's go do it. That's cool. And they were also sober. Yep. And some of them had done it before. And I found mentors and people that I could then help mentor. And I found that. Yeah, that was my experience somewhat coming in early on with the young people's groups in general was like I had that same – I think I stayed sober because I found those communities and in the young people's group, and this is young people's and AA I'm referring to, which was they were doing stuff like that. They were doing community. But as you get older – those groups, you know, kind of disbanded. We don't have time for those groups. <laughs> no, we don't have right? time. Right? We have families. Yeah, we yeah. have life. We get yeah. these beautiful lives, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of those groups, like, they just take a lot of time. A lot of – and 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 those were the groups, at least for me, those were the groups where I got that feeling that mm-hmm. you're describing that sounds like is such a big part of what can be had in the Phoenix and it can be had with this these big lives that don't that, that they can allow you to opt in and out based yeah. on what's going on with you. Well, yeah, and I found the Phoenix. I had six years sober, right? I right. was I was I had been sober for a while. I had you know my shtick of what I did to stay sober, right? But like I think a really important thing is like when we take the drugs and alcohol away, that doesn't fix anything. It oh, actually no. it makes it everything worse. It. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, no, like, alcohol is a yeah. solution, right? right? That natty ice was a solution to me, yep. so I just like ripped myself of my solution, right? And so I'm like the saran wrap is back. Right. The, you know, that feeling is back. And and I spent six years in recovery and I didn't need to do this, but I spent six years in recovery, like doing all of the things that, you know, that we do, but still feeling that kind of connect, like lack of connection, like not really being able to get there. Right. 
And I, that saran wrap or that like kind of feeling came off when I was hiking. Yeah. And that's what worked for me. But I can't hike every day. Right. Right? I can't climb Mount Whitney every day. I can't go hike the Appalachian Trail just like on a whim. I would love to. Yeah. It's my, that is my new dream in life. But I can't just, that's not a, it's not realistic. But I could go to a CrossFit class with a bunch of people. And they could talk about it and create and a trip. But we can build community there because yeah. it's not really about the mountain right. or the trail. It's not about the CrossFit class, the barbell, the yoga mat. It's not about any of that stuff. That stuff is all kind of arbitrary to something much bigger, which is that nurturing environment and that um, sense of community. Right. Right. I mean, that makes sense. And, and it's such a beautiful thing to see. And I'm so glad that you guys are doing this and that it's spreading. I mean, that's it's huge. That's, We're 41. We have 41 events in 41 different communities right now. That's so cool. And you've helped launch. You helped launch. Um, you know, you're saying you were in Boston for a while. Mm-hmm. I helped with Boston. I've been involved in Orange County for five years. I helped launch. We have uh, events in Signal Hill uh, in Long Beach. We have an event in Portland in Bend, Oregon, in Marin County. So those are the ones I've been involved yeah, with. But yeah. outside of that, it's all over the country. Yeah, it's um, it's so cool. And there's cool. chapters too. So there's like events and chapters and we have big chapters, big facilities in places like Boston and Denver and upcoming in Dallas. And it's just like, it's kind of growing like wildfire. I love it. Uh, which is scary, but fun. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. No, it's, it's really cool. And, and I think such a big part of, at least for me, being sober has been about moving my body and getting my brain to stop, you know? Yeah. That, that's been, you know, aside from all the other, like, vanity pieces, just being able to consistently do that has been so important. So when you combine the community, you combine, you know, the conversation about recovery, you combine the athletics, all those things, yeah. it's it's – I mean, that's amazing. I think it's cool because like with a CrossFit such a great example. And I always hate to use that example because then people think we're a CrossFit gym, which is not all we are. <laughs> They're not a CrossFit we're gym. We're not just a CrossFit gym. We can be if that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> but but CrossFit's so cool because it's so hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's always hard no yep. matter what level you're at. Yep. Which mm-hmm. is good. The point. And But when you go through that with somebody, with a group of people, you're like kind of going through a dark place together. <laughs> You're going through yeah. a really hard yeah. experience together. And yeah. when you come out, like when we come out of a CrossFit class in Orange County, we come out of it, you see a bunch of people fist bumping, high-fiving people, yeah. like helping people up, like whatever, and all go walk to the wall together and talk about it yeah, and walk back. And like everybody is bonded. Yeah. Right? I remember that girl because she was at my CrossFit class and she really helped me through that last round. Right. She's awesome. Right. And maybe you, know? you, you create that relationship that takes it outside of the, yeah. you, know, you have more of those recovery experiences because people, when you just go to meetings or you just, like the, the one piece, one aspect of recovery is not going to keep you sober. It's got to be the different pieces. Like yeah. you were saying, like I had, I was six years sober. I had my shtick. Like what that means is we have to do all these different things to stay sober. Only one of those things, it's like a, you know, it's like a three-legged stool. You you need all three legs. You take yeah. one out, it falls down. So this is such an amazing addition to having that sober community outside of AA meetings, outside of, or whatever community meetings. And yeah, and that. I think that's the cool thing. Like Phoenix in general, like we stay out of that, right? Right. Like we're, we're not clinical. Yep. We're not trying yeah. to do right. any of that stuff. Right. And, like, I always encourage people to do whatever they're doing. Right. Whether that be AA, smart recovery, refuge recovery, church, temple, mosque, like, whatever, therapy. If it's Phoenix, like, whatever you're doing, do it. Yeah. Because I don't know. Yeah. No, and and different things. I know what works for me. Right. Different things work for different people. Recovery is, and that's kind of, you know, that's such a big part of this podcast is, like, I just want people to get better. Yeah. Just if it's not working, you know, talking about change and the courage to change is, like, if it's not working for you, change then, it. then let's figure out how to change it. And I have – I go through that in my own life. Like there's, there's you know, okay, totally. this isn't working for yeah. me anymore. And that changes as the longer we stay in long-term recovery, you know, the things that worked however five years ago, you know, I have to upgrade my recovery yeah. to wherever my life is, which is – I think our needs change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like my life changes, so my needs change. Yeah. I think recovery in general is just – it's mind, body, spirit, right? Right. And so – you have to do stuff for all of them. Right. 
You just have to. Yep. I have to. Yep. You know? I mean, you can cheat it, but here's the thing. You have to remember, or I have to remember, that the disease is centered in my mind, so I'm going to feel like crap if I cheat. Like, I'm cheating myself into feeling badly. Yeah. Like, you know, it's – I think so many of us for so long had this experience of, like, what we can get away with, and – then you, with recovery, you, you're you're creating pain for yourself. It's not about getting away with anything. Yeah. So what can people, um, if people are interested in joining um, the Phoenix or finding out more information about it, where can they go? Yeah. So one thing about the Phoenix is it's 100% free for any individual. With, That's why you love it so yes, much. With 48 hours sobriety. Okay. That's our requirement. We don't drug test. It's not that. But we have 48 hours. And the reason we have that is there's two reasons. Physical safety. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is of utmost importance. And also, like, understanding that sobriety is not always a straight path. Right. For everybody. More often than times, it's not, right? And slips happen and things happen. But if we put a long time limit on that, if we say you can't come back for 30 days. Yeah. You're not going to come back. No. Like, we want people to come right back into that community and, right. like, get reconnected immediately. Do you find that that happened, you know, how? So, and I don't want to say our statistics because I don't want to say them wrong. Right. But it's an 80 percentage rate. You just gave a statistic. 80 percentage-ish. That's a statistic. 80-ish. 80-ish percent. It's a high percentage. It's high. Of people that have, like, One, two, um, sustainable <laughs> long-term <laughs> recovery that ends up being kind of more straight line. And I think it's the community focus. Like when I went to treatment, and I'm not going to get into a soapbox about the treatment industry, but I know when I went to treatment, it was really, really recovery focused and community focused. Mm-hmm. Like that was what they wanted. They wanted us to take care of each other. Yeah. And like in our sober living, while I wasn't sober, <laughs> the people that were sober are still friends. Yeah. Right. And they took care of each other and they're all still sober. So yeah. that works. Yeah, it does. Right. And we don't see it that much anymore. That kind of community base. It's vital. It's, I mean, for me, it's, I, I'll and just speak, it's, it's vital. Yes, is necessary. And so, like, that's kind of what we're doing here is, like, building that community and doing it in an environment that, like, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you're doing, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, you're safe. Yeah. I love that. Talk a little bit about what you were telling me about the allowing space for people of all different levels to be there because I think people do worry about yeah. athletic things and feeling like, man, I'm just coming off oh the my couch. God. The gym is terrifying. I remember going into 24-hour fitness when I was in early recovery and being like, I'm going to do back squats. And I go up to the back squat area. I don't even know how to do a back squat <laughs> at that point in time, <laughs> right? I don't know what I'm doing. And I, it's like a bunch of macho guys. Yeah. And like they're so mad at me because I'm in their way. Right. It's just like terrifying, yeah. right? As a yeah. woman, it's terrifying. I'm yeah. sure for men, it's terrifying. I just can't speak for them. Yeah. And I hear so many stories about that. And I remember when I first wanted to do CrossFit, being like, there's no there's no space there for me. I'm like this tiny gay person. Like it's a bunch of dudes with their, you know, they have huge chests and 12 packs and <laughs> like there's no space for me in these. I don't know if I can lift a barbell. Right. But there's but what we've done and what we've created is a space for everybody. Like it doesn't matter if you can lift a barbell. We'll find you something else to lift. Right. You know? Everything that we do is like hundred percent scalable and doable for anybody, no matter what. That's awesome. And like if I've had people a few weeks ago, I had a woman walk into our gym for the first time, maybe a few months ago now. She walked in and she started sobbing. Oh. And I was like, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> What did we do? Am I wearing the, the recovery T-shirt? Like, did I do something wrong? Right. And she was crying because it was the first time she walked into a fitness space and felt safe. Wow. And she felt that right when she walked in, right? And it's like one of those moments where you, you know, like in your job, you're doing all these mundane yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Like, why does like this yeah, email matter? matter yeah. About whatever I'm, you know, policy procedure. Yes, yeah, so you're like doing operations, yeah. and you're like, this is so boring, <laughs> but um. And then you have that. Yeah. Right? And she's in the gym every day. That's awesome. You know, she's working on her fitness and she's been – she had a hard time in a gym. She'd been objectified and harassed and all of these things. And her fitness lacked and she has an injury. Mm -hmm. So she can't do everything. But she's in there every day doing everything because we can – we found a space for her, right? She fits in. Yeah. You know, and we also have these guys that come in that are used to doing the machines at 24-Hour Fitness. They're huge. They're gigantic. I'm like as wide as their bicep. 
It's insane. <laughs> they're so strong. But they can come in and there's space for them right next to her. Right. Right? And right. everybody in between that. And you guys are doing trips to Aspen. Yeah, so they do an Aspen trip once a month. And then we do a huge trip to Moab, Utah. And that's a camping trip. And it's there is a cost to that. It's a very small cost. But it's four days. And it's just a bunch of people in recovery going out there to be together. And they're doing rock climbing, mountain biking, hiking, uh, hanging so out by cool. the campfire. And it's cool because Moab is a very small town. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a bunch of people in Phoenix shirts in recovery. Just they take over the town. Love it. And it's, like, pretty cool to sit around a campfire with 200 other people in recovery yeah. from all over the country. Oh, wow. Oh, it's, oh, it's not just it's location. national. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. All over the country. That's and really And to know cool. that, like, they're, you're not alone. Yeah. No matter where you are. Yeah. That's so cool. It's really cool. I think it has, like, you know, we have, like, the trauma-informed approach. We hear that a lot, right? Yeah. Everything's trauma-informed, trauma-informed. And what we kind of did is we took it kind of one step further. Like, sure, we can be informed of trauma, but then what? What do we? So why don't we do? Why don't we heal it? Why don't we do trauma healing, right? So um, in Boston, I worked with veterans a lot. Veterans in recovery. I had no prior experience. I've like I don't I don't come from a military family. I have no idea, <laughs> right? I have no idea besides like what I've read in history, like, right? You know right. what I mean? I don't know, right? And talking so about the Civil War. Yeah, like yeah. I'm like I don't know. Are you gray or blue? What's happening? <laughs> I don't know. And so I get these, it's, um, these vets, um, there's a VA there and they're coming into the Phoenix and, and they, they're, uh, jumpy. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so we walk them in and, and this is what somebody taught me. We walk them in and we put them up against the wall with us and let them see the space. Right. And they're going to see the music's loud. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they're going to see stuff dropping. It's mm-hmm. loud. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're going to see people all over them. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to say, Hey, the bathroom's over there. And this is where the water is. And this is where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Right? And so simple little things. And I've taken right. that and I do it to everybody that walks in now. That like take it so that it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. It's okay. Right? Because everybody has trauma. Whether right. like I like to admit it. Like in the beginning when I'm saying I don't have trauma. Yeah. But like we all do. Yeah. Everybody has it and we have to acknowledge it and we have to give space to feel it. But we can also give space to heal it. Right. And so you're doing that by giving these people the opportunity to know where everything is. Yeah. And Which is we- so silly, right? Yeah. No, it's a it's, silly thing. But it, it, it was silly until you said it and I was thinking about it going, right, because we walk in and it's scary. Where is everybody? I've never been in this space. Mm-hmm. We're evaluating the space. Where are you going to be? Where, you know, yeah. I, I, and, and when you know a place really well, there's some just – Automatic. The door feels lighter. Yeah. There's just this automatic level yeah. of comfort. Like, okay, I've been in – I know where things are. Yeah, and then they walk in they throw their shoes in the middle of the floor. Like it's their house. Yeah. Great. <laughs> One extreme to the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, at least they're consistent. But uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. come in. Like this is your home. Yeah. Throw your shoes on the floor. Pick them up, please. Yeah. But, you know, like this is your home. It's not – it's my home too, but like our members and the people that come to that gym, that's their home. I want them to feel like they can walk in – in any mindset, in any position, whatever, they want to work out or not. Sometimes they just come in. That's so For cool. no reason. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, I want to watch you work out. Yeah. They're like, we want to see you guys work out or we just want to hang out. Is there anything that needs to get done? I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> Glad you asked. Magic question. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. I love it. And it's such a great thing. I'm, you know, I want to talk to the Lion Rock clients who are all over the yeah you guys the, are everywhere all over yeah. and people there are a lot of people who don't know how don't either want to go to 12 step don't have community we have a lot of disabled people mm-hmm. all sorts of different things so it's a really it's a really it's a cool thing wonderful wonderful opportunity to plug in so and a great way to be involved is to fundraise <laughs> 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 plug, plug, plug. Plug. Now uh, we're starting a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. It's actually pretty cool because, like, a lot of our members will do cool stuff. Like, they'll – we had a member swim from Alcatraz to the mainland. San Francisco? Yeah, San Francisco. Is that what you said? You got it. I'd like the mainland. Mainland. Remember. But we had somebody swim that China. last year, right? Or they'll do a marathon or they'll That's do awesome. a CrossFit competition yeah. or whatever. And, like, what a better way to help us – Build awareness and raise money. I think so it's like, wonderful. So, like, anybody's ever doing anything and they want to fundraise for us? Awesome. Yeah, we'll put it on our radar and, yeah. and definitely want to help out with it. We we really support what you guys are doing. It's super cool. That's cool. Super cool. I got to get it. It is cool. I got to get up to 
Come see it. I got to get up to Costa Mesa. You'll come see it. Will you add childcare? No. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I'm not. That is like not my job. No. Right okay. now we don't. Yeah. Right now we do um, 16 and up and that's yeah. just, that's what we do. You don't want my babies lifting weights? I would love it if your babies lifted some weights, but. <laughs> just give them somewhere to go. <laughs> Work them out. I know. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. And um, where can people go if they want more information so, on The Phoenix? Yeah, you can go to www.thephoenix.org. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook. It's Phoenix Orange County, The Phoenix Orange County. And our address is 850 West 18th Street in Costa Mesa. You can come down anytime. Anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Pat. We really appreciate your time. It's been awesome having you here. Thanks for having me. The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, would like to thank our sponsor, Lion Rock Recovery, for their support. Lion Rock Recovery provides online substance abuse counseling where you can get help from the privacy of your own home. For more information, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and join our podcast community to hear amazing stories of courage and transformation. We are so grateful to our listeners and hope that you will engage with us. Please email us comments, questions, anything you want to share with us, how this podcast has affected you. Our email address is podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you.